Well, maybe not, but that's all right. I like their rambunctiousness. Keeps me young and on my toes. How much can I focus, you know? You guys want that? Great. Is Rick is going to want one, right? Ginger, do you want one? Genesis, you got one? Oh, we probably have more pencils somewhere, but okay, well, if you want to donate them, then Okay, so you got one, Genesis got one, Ginger. Okay, this is for your dad. Now, I don't want it left in the puke. Okay. Not that you are guilty of that. Evening. Oh, it's so good to be here. Oh, I'm doing okay. I've had a crazy day, but... Well, not so crazy. I took, uh, went to the, did my study this morning up to the mid afternoon, uh, yeah, early afternoon, and then took Philip Franks to the doctor, and then his doctor's appointment took like forever. So then I was a little anxious about being able to get back here. So, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, you guys probably got, got the doctor's appointment syndrome down. Let's silence this. All right. Let's pray. <coughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> Been doing all day. Good all day. And then... <coughs> <coughs> I did. <coughs> Father God, we just thank you so much for your grace, for your goodness. We thank you how awesome you are. Holy Spirit, as we look at your word and we begin to understand what, what the full living creatures are and, and what they represent, I just pray that you would help us to understand. I pray that you would give good understanding and good insight. I pray that you would lead us and teach us in all truth. We ask this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we have a lot of scripture ground to cover today, so um, it's going to be on the slides, um, but we encourage you to use your Bible as well. Um, we're going to start in Revelation 4, verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne there were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are the four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. 
the third living creature with the face of a man and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes and all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cross their crowns before him, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor, power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Yeah? We've covered that already, some of that. But we didn't really talk that much about the four living creatures, did we? We talked about what? Anybody remember? The throne of God, the 24 elders, right? All right, so what are these four living creatures? Now, I want you to be thinking about these things. These are the questions that we're asking as we're going to go through the text, okay? So what are the four living creatures? We're asking eight, qu seven questions. Uh-huh, seven, okay, seven. Uh, what are the, where are they located in the scene, right? Okay, the first question in the passage we just read is not answered, right? They're just living creatures we don't know. But we do know where they're located in the scenes that were just righted, right? Anybody can tell me? Yeah, around the throne, right? Okay. And what is their job and function? We have a hint of it in this text. Worship is what's going on in this text. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're giving glory and honor and thanks to God, right? Right? So we have some function, but probably not the total function, especially just in the text that we read. But we're going to be asking. They were being investigators, right? Okay, so then the next question is, why the number four, the four living creatures? Why did they choose four? Why not, I mean, those 24 elders, right? Why not seven creatures? Why four? So that we're going to answer that question tonight. And why do they have this chimera appearance? There's a word for you. Chimera is a word where it's a, uh, a multitude of animal aspects or different biomes put into one creature, one animal. They have the head of a lion, the wings of an eagle, uh, they're full of eyes, right? So a chimera, okay? Uh, in myth Greek mythology, a chimera typically is a winged-headed lion with the ser a tail serpent of a snake, okay? But it's just, a, it's just scientifically, it would be the, the intermixing of several different attributes of one creature, one animal. Science fiction, if you watch science fiction, then they make chimeras and it's like some freak show, right? So, but why, why do they have this chimera appearance, right? So be watching. We're going to find maybe the answer to that. What do these bearing beings appear in the Old Testament? So we're going to look at that. Um, and where do these beings appear in the New Testament? Only in Revelation, by the way, in the New Testament. But we're going to look at each time they appear in Revelation because it's not just in Revelation Four, right? They also in five, six, uh, fourteen, and nineteen, I believe. So several places, and so we're going to look at these things. So first, let's look at the appearance of these beings in the Old Testament. We're going to start with the text that I believe John is quoting from or pulling from, and that is in Ezekiel. Okay, it's Ezekiel chapter one, four through twenty-eight. Now, when I say we're going to go through a lot of scripture. I meant we're going to go through a lot of scripture because I'm reading a whole chapter here. Okay? Now, 
just the context for Ezekiel is he's in exile from uh, Jerusalem. He's been taken into captivity. Jerusalem has not fallen, but it's going to fall. And, and the temple is going to be destroyed. And he's having this vision in Babylon, okay, where he's taken captive. So Ezekiel 4, I mean, verse, chapter 1, verse 4 says, And I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually in the midst of gleaming metal. Now, I want you to be thinking about both theophanies, okay, the both throne room scenes, okay, and there's a lot of parallels between these, and I believe this is where John and Jesus are wanting you to think back to this passage when he's writing John 4 and 5, okay? And from the midst of it came likeness of full living creatures, and their appearance, they had human likeness, but each had four faces, and each had them ha of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of a calf's foot, and they, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands, and, uh, and the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above. Every creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward. Whenever the, wherever the spirit would go, they went without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like the burning coals of a fire, with the appearance of torches moving to and fro amongst the living creatures. And the fire was bright. Out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of flashes of lightning. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like gleaming of beryl, and the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being as it were a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went, and their rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four, four were full of eyes all around. We already saw that phrase, right? We're seeing a lot of similarity, right? It's saying it a little differently, but basically this a very similar theme. And when, the and when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Whenever the spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, they, these went, and when those stood, these stood, and when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was within the wheels. So part of the whole argument of this passage is to argue to show the people in exile that God is not stuck in Jerusalem. God is the God of the whole earth, right? He's mob mobile, okay? So that's why there's all a whole lot of language about movement, 
here. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was like the likeness of an expanse, like a shining awe-inspiring crystal spread above, out above their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight one toward another, and each creature had two wings covering its body. And they went, I heard the sound of the wings like the sound of many waters, like the torment of the Almighty. A sound of the torment was the sound of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, when they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their head, there was the likeness of a throne in the appearance of sapphire. And seated up above the likeness of the throne was, was a likeness with human appearance, right? And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were a gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw it was as appearance of fire and there was a brightness around him like the appearance of a bow that is in the cloud of the day of rain so that the appearance of the brightness all around such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. And I heard the voice of one speaking. What an opening to a day, huh? The presence of God uh, coming to him, the glory of God coming to him, uh, displayed in, in these four living creatures, right? When we go to Daniel 4, we see these four living creatures. They're around the throne. They're under the throne. It's like they're supporting the throne, right? So I would say that the Daniel 4 living creatures are the same living creatures that Ezekiel describes here. Okay, but yet we haven't got any farther, right? I mean, we're still going, well, what are these living creatures, right? They're living creatures, and they're around God's throne. Jed, we have not gained any more information. And you're right, we really haven't. In fact, we might have even added some more confusing information because now we got wheels, and we got, instead of just four beasts, with we have four beasts, but... Instead of each one having a head, like in Revelation, now they have four faces, and those four faces are the man, the eagle, and the ox. Man, the eagle, the lion, the man, the lion, the eagle, and the ox, right? So now I'm really confused, Pastor. Gee, way, way to go, right? Okay, but it's going to get better. It's going to clarify, okay? So we're going to go to our next passage because it ta- it, the next passage answers in Ezekiel, so whenever the scripture, whenever we want a scripture, you know, we go to context, right? And the first context we typically like to go to is what? The Bible, right? So we're going to go to the Bible. Now, we could get the answer by going to the culture as well. Um, but the Bible has the answer, so we're going to go there. And the answer actually comes in Ezekiel, and it's Ezekiel chapter 10. It's actually, you get it several times. Uh, you get it in uh, Ezekiel 9.3. Uh, and then you also get it in Ezekiel 8 through 11. It's a whole bunch of uh, talking. That 93 is on your notes. But 10 is very specific. Okay? Now, he is interpreting a little bit what he saw in chapter 1, in chapter 10 of Ezekiel. He says in verse 1, Then I looked, and behold, on the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, there appeared above them something like sapphire and parents like a throne. Oh, okay. Now he's named these suckers. Right? The cherubim. Okay. And, he's, and if we haven't got the point yet, he keeps going. And he said to the man clothed in linen, Go among in the whirling wheels underneath the cherubim. Fill your hands with burning coals 
from between the cherubim and scattered them over the city. And he went in before my eyes. Now the cherubim was standing south side of the house when the man went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. It's talking about a temple scene. And the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the house, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. And the sound of the rings of the cherubim was heard as far as the outer court, like the voice of the Almighty God when he speaks, like the voice of the Almighty God when he speaks. Pay attention to that. And we commanded the, the man clothed in linen, take fire between the wheel, rolling wheels from between the cherubim. He went in and stood beside a wheel. And the cherubim stretched out his hand between the cherub, cherubim to the file that was between the cherubim and took some of it and put it, it into the hands of the man clothed in linen. He took it and went out. The cherubim appeared to have the form of a human who had ha, a human hand under their wings. I looked and peeled there, there were four wheels besides the cherubim, one on each cherub, and the appearance of the wheels was like sparkling beryl. And the for their appearance, the four had the same likeness as if it were a wheel within a wheel, very similar, right, to what we just read. They went, when they went, they went in any four directions without turning as they went, but in whatever direction the four-wheel faced, the others followed without turning as they went. And their whole body, their rims and the spokes, their wings and the wheels were full of eyes all around. John makes a very point to makes that phrase twice in his in Revelation 4 and 5. The wheels that the four of them had, <coughs> as, as for the wheels, they were called in my hearing the whirling wheels. And everyone had four faces. The first of the face was the face of the cherub, and the second was the face of the human, and the first face was the face of the lion, and the first face was the face of an eagle. Cherub's face would be a bull, an ox, right? Uh, in Babylonian, and we'll look at some, we'll, I'll show you some of that. And the cherub mounted up. These were the living creatures that I saw, saw by the canal. These were the living creatures. So if you really hadn't figured it out yet, he really wants you to know, these were the same creatures as in Ezekiel something run. Cherub, cherubim, plural. Cherub, singular, one. So it's not the little guy that has the little tiny wings? No. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that's Greek mythology is where that comes from. This is Babylonian mythology. Okay? And when the cherubim went, the wheels went beside them, and when the cherub lifted up their wings to mount up from the earth, the wheels did not turn from beside them. When they stood still, these stood still, and when they mounted up, these mounted up with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in them. Excuse me. Then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes, and they went out with the wheels beside them. And they stood at the entrance of the east gate to the house of the Lord, and the glory of Israel was of God of the God of Israel was over them. And these were the living creatures that I saw underneath underneath the God of Israel by the Jebel Canal, and I knew that they were cherubim. Each had four faces, each had four wings. Underneath their wings was the likeness of human hands. And for the likeness of their faces, they were the same faces as those of whose appearance I had seen by the Cherubal Canal. Each one of them went straight forward. 
Okay? So, answer to the first question, what are these four living creatures? They're cherubs. They're cherubim. Right? Right? Okay, well then if we know that, then now we can start to look at cherubim in scripture. Right? And that'll begin to give us some insight. The first instance of cherubim in scripture is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. Sad verse. Man sinned, messed up, and God drove man out of the garden, out of the east of the garden of Eden. He placed what? Cherubim. Two, probably one on either side of the path or the gate, a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life, lest man eat of it and live forever. Right? But a cherubim. A ferocious-looking creature, really, right? An angel, a being, a, a spiritual being, right? Even they're, ca they're called, the, the translations use creature, and there's a reason for that. We're going to get into that. But, but it also could be translated as being, a living being. So it's a spiritual entity, right, um, that has these different appearances. That's quite frightening. Exodus 25, 17 through 22. You shall make the morsel seed of pure gold, two cubits, half of it shall be its length, and a cubic and a half its breadth. And you should make two cherubim of gold. Not little cupid guys, right? Of hammered work, you shall make them on two ends of the mercy seed. And make one cherub on one end and one cherub on the other end of one piece with the mercy seat that you should make a cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces to one another. To the great mercy seat shall their faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I shall give you, there I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about what I have will give you in commandment of the people of Israel. Right? So it's where God is meeting. It's the meeting place of God. Right? And we know that the, the tabernacle and the temple are shadows of the heavenly things. It tell, Hebrews tells us that. Right? All right. So then we're carrying this concept further, right? Uh, Psalm 18.10 says, He rode on the cherub and flew. He swiftly came swiftly on the wings of the wind. Right? So this is riding the cherub like a, like a horse almost, right? Or it could be back to that other word where he's on this cool throne, chariot throne thing that's like just flying around, boom, 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 zoom, zoom. Right? Psalm 99.1, the Lord reigns, amen? The Lord reigns, you can pick up on that. Let his people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth break. The Lord, what? Reigns. That's important to put into this because the cherub are tied into that and they're representing of that, and we'll get into that. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are God alone. All of you, all of, of all the kingdoms of earth, you have made heaven and earth, right? So he's enthroned above the cherubim, right? 
So now this is super consistent with what's going on in Revelation 12, right? Because he's seated, enthroned above the cherubim, still below him and around him, right? And the throne is on top of this, these four living creatures. Hey, Rick. So let's look at these appearances of the living creatures in the New Testament. Now, we know now that the cherub, that the four living creatures are what? Cherubim. And we know cherubims are not naked little fl flying angels, right? Right? <laughs> it's not a cherub. Now, it's a Greek mythology cherub, but it's not the Babylonian cherub. Okay? We understand that. Because I think there's some confusion because we, we draw cherubs in our Christian art, and they're not the biblical cherubs. <laughs> okay, so we already read Revelation uh, 4, 5 through 11, so we're going to skip those instances, and we're going to jump to 5. And it says, Between the throne and the four living creatures, among the elders I saw a lamb, standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent in all the earth. Right, so we have the throne and the full living creatures and the lamb is amongst them, right? And when he had taken, 5.8 says, and when he had taken the scroll, the full living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So the full living creatures, we see them falling down before the lamb. They do not have a harp and they do not have a bowl of incense. Gender specificity is why. The living creatures are gender neutral. Elders are gendered male. Harps and bulls are gendered male in the Greek. Okay? So they have to agree. Makes sense? But they, what do they do in this passage? They fall down and worship, right? Before the Lord, right? So Revelation 5, 8. So, Rick, we just went through a whole bunch of Old Testament passages um, that helped us discover that the full living creatures are cherubim. Um, and a cherubim is a composite of living creatures, like a chimera, if you would, to represent different qualities of God and their job. Okay? Um, yeah. And the biggest key passages probably for that are Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10, if you wanted to read those later. Okay, so here in Revelation 5, 8, they fall down uh, and worship, okay? And then in Ro Revelation 5, 11, um, they're around the throne, right, with the elders and with the myriads and myriads, not mermaids, but myriads, of thousands and thousands of angels, right? And they're all worshiping the throne. And then we jump to 514, and the full living creatures are saying, amen, so be it, right? In agreement of worship of God, right? Then they, they have a little different role. Um, we find out the lamb is able to open the seals, Right? And then six, we come into the seals of justice, as I called them on Sunday, the seven seals uh, 
of the lamb, and the lamb is opening the seals. And then each time a seal is open, the four living creatures, the four, there's four of them, and those four seals that get open, that are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and the four living creatures call them out. They command them, actually. Come. Now, I know sometimes when you're a kid, you hear your parents call you, and you think it's an option. Right? Ever do that? I did that all the time. And I got spanked for it all the time. I, I think I would have a... <laughs> I was. I had a thick head. <laughs> but come was a command, right? And they say come in 6-1. And they say come in 6-3. And they say come in 6-5, right? The first one, the second one, the third one. And the fourth one says come, right? Well, 6-6 there's a voice from amongst the four living creatures, which uh, I think because of their, permission, their position, the throne is, un, is amongst them. So it's, a vo- it's the voice of God, the, the voice of Yahweh, the Almighty, uh, says uh, this to the, uh, the horsemen of famine, right? And then in 6-7 six, six, is the last one that says, Come. So they, they're, they're commanding, they're speaking for God, they're speaking with authority, uh, they're representing him, right? And then in 7-11, the angels are standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, they what? They fall down, they fall, fell on their faces uh, before the throne and they worship, right? And then 14-3, the 44,000, 144,000, as we'll talk about on Sunday, they're singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures, right? Because those living creatures are around the throne. It's like, think of it in concentric circles, really. You have the throne, and, and the four living creatures are like around it and supporting it, right? And then in the midst of that, you have the lamb, and then around that, you have the, the 24 elders, right? And then around that, you have the multi, the myriads of myriads, right? The uncountable number, really, is what it's going for, um, of people. And then here you have the hundred forty thousand coming into the court. They're in between the myriads of myriads and the twenty-four elders, right? And they're all like worshiping Yahweh, right? Pretty, pretty awesome. And then it hits this thing here, 15-7. One of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. So not only do they speak for God, but they're handing God's instruments to God's servants, right? They're like an envoy between God and the heavenly court. Yeah, kind of. And the twi- uh, so then we have Revelation 19.4, 24 hours in the four living creatures, what? Fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! Right? Praise the Lord! Pretty cool, huh? So these are creatures of worship, right? And, and awe, right? I mean, it's Kind of blows your mind when you think about them. So what are these four living creatures? Here's some examples. 
Oh, no. Yeah, you can see that. A Babylonian throne guardian or Babylonian cherub. This one on the bottom right-hand side, you can go see at the Oriental uh, Museum. That's not the right word. Institute, Oriental Institute in Chicago. I actually took that picture there and then edited it so it would work for a slide. Um, the church, I've already took a group before, but I'd be willing after Revelation to take another uh, group there. Um, this picture here is also from that. Uh, this one is more from the Babylonian. This is from the Persian time period. And I can't remember. That gold plate is not there. I think that's over in Turkey. Pulled that out of one of my commentaries. So this is what they look like. Okay? On idea. And they are like throne guardians. They are cherubim of Yahweh's throne. Right? So the cherubim even put on the ark would have looked something like this. Does that make sense? Yeah, they would not have been angels. So that artist, the modern artic, artistic rendition of the Ark of the Covenant is playing off the Greek cherub, which makes this little angel figure, not the Babylon, not the Old Testament formidable cherub, right? Not the cherub that's described in Ezekiel, and Ezekiel is pulling off of even predating that period of Babylon, right? So Akkadian. Assyria, those images. And it's a spiritual being, right? So we just got to remember that. So it, it can, has the ability to change. That's why you have the difference between what you, some differences between Revelation 4 and like Ezekiel 1. Does that make sense? Now there is another passage, Isaiah 6. But these are seraphim, and they're above the throne, and there would be another topic. Some people try to conflate the two, but I think they're separate. That's why I left Isaiah 6 out. So if you read Isaiah 6 and you're wondering about that, that would be seraphim or seraph, which is a different spiritual being than a cherub. Okay. Um, there could be an argument that a seraph is the Egyptian throne guardian figure, um, but... That could be debated. Okay, so where are they located in almost all of the scenes, right? Beneath, around the throne, right? Uh, even carrying the throne, right? They're being rowed, right, in Psalms, right? So they are below the throne as at its four corners. They are carrying the throne. Now, this one over here on the right, this image, is a depiction, an artistic depiction of uh, Ezekiel's throne scene that somebody drove. You can see the, the wheels on the bottom with the eyes, the wheel within, right? So, um, but that's just an artist trying to draw what Ezekiel's describing him seeing in his vision. And I think we have to realize this is trying to describe a spiritual realm in physical terms. And that's hard because they're not equal, right? They're, does that make sense? 
So what is their job or function? And I think because from going through all these Old Testament passage and then all Revelations passage, we see they have a lot of jobs and a lot of function. And I think Revelation even adds some layers of function, right? From what we see in, um, in like the Old Testament. So first off, especially clear in Ezekiel's passages and in several others is that they are to reflect God's glory, right? That's very clear in Ezekiel chapter 1, very clear in Ezekiel chapter 10, right, and in other areas too. So they reflect God's glory. Um, as we go through, we're going to see they reflect God's rule, okay? Remember in Psalm it says he reigns over all the earth, right? And then he's seated, enthroned amongst the cherubim. So they reflect God's rule. They are to carry his throne, right? That was pretty clear. He's like a mobile God, right? He's not stuck in one spot. Uh, he's everywhere, right? He's omnipresent, um, right? Uh, they are the guardians of thrones and sacred places. Genesis 3, 24 makes that really clear, right? They are placed on either side on the way to the tree of life with a sword that goes every way, right? So they are guardians to thrones and sacred places. Uh, Garden of Eden was God's throne, okay? And so they are there to guard that. They give glory, honor, and thanks. That's from Revelation. That's pretty clear, right? They worship with the rest of the court. They're always worshiping God. They're falling down. They're, they're worshiping, right? They speak for God. Come, right? Uh, into the calling of the first horseman, right? So they speak for God. Yeah, they speak with his authority. Uh, they give the seven angels seven bowls of wrath, right? So they're all like, like a met, I mean, not a, I mean, not a, they're like supervisor or, yeah, a delegate, right? God has this wrath, and he goes, okay, here you go, seven angels. And the seven angels are standing there with their bowls of wrath, I guess, you know, and we're going to get into the, uh, those seven bowls of wrath. Uh, later on. So why the number four? Why is there four living creatures? Why isn't there five living creatures? Why isn't there three living creatures? Well, maybe you could say, well, there's four corners of a throne, right? I've never seen a round throne. This is a corner, you know, it's got to, right? Okay, so four actually has a numerical significance, and that's why there's four. So there's four living creatures because the number four symbolizes the totality of the earth. Think of the four compasses points of the compass. Never eat shredded wheat, right? <laughs> Sorry. That's what I learned when I was a kid. Good way to teach me the four points of the compass. <laughs> North, south, east, and west, right? Four points to speak of the whole earth. Now, we know the earth isn't square, right? And, you know, and if you go north farther not long enough, you're going to go south. And if you go east farther enough, Yeah, okay, but fair enough. Yeah. Okay, but it's to speak of the whole earth, okay? Four points. This is then paired with the four faces of the cherubim in Ezekiel, or the four cherubim, okay? And that speaks of God's ultimate rule over the earth, okay? So that's why there's four. 
because there's a, num a few numerical significance to that number. So why do they have this chimera appearance, right? Why do they have full wings and eyes all around and heads like lions and, and, and you know, in flight like an eagle and the face of a man and the face of the ox? What is with all this? Why? The appearance of their faces represents God's created order, which he rules over. So think about this. This is from uh, Background Commentary, Volume 4. But humankind is the head of all creation and noted for his intelligence, for the face of his image. The lion is the chief of all the wild animals and noted for his ferocity. The wild uh, ferocity. The ox is the chief of all the domesticated animals and noted for his strength. The eagle is the chief of all the birds of the air and noted for his freedom. Now, the only thing I could say was, well, what about the fish of the sea? I mean, there's, that, you know, but I guess I can't have everything. They wanted four. Does that make sense? So, so that's what the face is all about. They're representing creation, the, the created order. The appearance of their eyes represents that God is all-knowing. Maybe they reflect. That's what they're doing, right? They reflect God. So they're trying to just show that God knows everything. So they'll, like John says, they got eyes in and out, right? And he says it twice. Ezekiel says they got eyes all around or in and out or on the wheels everywhere, you know? Right? And then the wheels in Ezekiel would really emphasize God is not contained, right? God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Okay? Because they can go any direction without turning, meaning they're already there. So what should we take away from all this? Just gave you a whole bunch of academic stuff about cherubs. What are we, what are we going to take away? Well, for me, the cherubs still wandering off and even a little confusion, right? I can't explain it all. And why? Because they reflect the glory of Yahweh, right? Yeah. No. I, I think there's a lot. Well, I think there's something more than four, but I don't know that for sure. The two of these could be the, the two of those four in the sense that they were guarding. I mean, because those four cherub would have been there, but then they would have to be moving out from the throne of God, right? So I don't know. That's a good question. Any other thoughts or questions before I draw up my concluding points? Yeah, so that, yeah, so guarding... Uh, imagery, paradise imagery, uh, especially in the Old Testament, is imagery of a, of a king's throne. So like Babylon is even known as the hanging gardens or the floating gardens. It was one of the wonders of the world. So the Garden of Eden is definitely shown as God's throne. Uh, the, the Eden was the intermingling of, hev of the supernatural realm and the physical realm, and God throne was in the midst of that. 
just like it'll be when the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven and comes to the new heaven and the new earth. That'll be God's throne, and there'll be that intermingling. Um, you know, I don't know what the children, I mean, like I said, so we're talking about this intermingling of supernatural and physical. So there will be cherubim and they will be awesome. Um, and they will probably have some kind of chimera appearance because of the symbolism in which that carries. Does that make sense? It's kind of difficult because, like, you know, with the lamb who was slain, Jesus isn't always going to look like a lamb slain. But he has that imagery to, to speak of his death and resurrection. But I would say these guys are always like this. Like, Jesus may not always be a lamb slain because he's doing that for imagery. And Jesus is ontological, that's a big word, naturally, he, he became flesh and he dwelt among us and he has a body, so he's embodied. These creatures are not embodied in that same sense as we are. They're spiritual beings. So they have the ability to change their appearance. Does that make sense? And that might be why they, they don't look the same in, yeah, they can change. So that's, that's why they don't look exactly the same in Revelation 4, as they did in Ezekiel 1. But they have a lot of similarities. They're the same creatures, but they can change their appearance. And they don't, obviously in this case, they didn't change it drastically, but they changed it to communicate what they were trying to, to fit their audience and what they were trying to reflect about God. Does, does that make sense? Because I think their main job is to show God's glory and to reflect God. And, to, and, and they have a job of protecting God, not that God needs protecting, but God likes to give people jobs, if you haven't figured that out. And God, because God doesn't need anybody to do anything, right? But he is a relational, communal God, and he likes to give people jobs. And so one of their jobs is, is to protect the throne or to protect, like, the Garden of Eden, right? That they can change? Yes. Any other thoughts or questions? Oh, yeah, so I'm sorry. I, I really should have just left that out. So, so in Isaiah 6, in fact, um, let me just go there and I'll read it. Well, it's my fault because I, I actually mentioned it and I shouldn't have. It's sometimes you get excited about information and then...
No, I don't do that. Okay, so Isaiah, it's another thanophany. It's another throne scene in Isaiah 6.1. In the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. So we've got similarities. High and lifted up, and in the train of his robe filled the temple. So this is a scene of God seated on his throne above the temple. This is a very much uh, a, a Solomon's temple scene, okay? Um, and above him, to, above him. Now that's the, this is why I left this out, is because it says above him stood the seraphim. Okay, so that would be a different angel category, not the cherubim, but these are seraphim. But um, each had six wings, and two covered his face. With two he covered his feet, and two he flew. Now there is a parallel here because it says, and one called to another and said. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Okay? The whole earth is full of his glory, right? And the foundations of the threshold shook, and the, and the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe for me, for I am lost, for I am an unclean. I have a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For the eyes, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, or Yahweh of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having a hand of burning, burning coal. So now we have some more <laughs> parallel and symbology that he had taken with tongs from the altar, the altar of incense probably. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for. So I didn't bring them up because mainly their location is different. They, they were above the throne, and the cherubim were below the throne. Now, and, and you can trace seraphim through Scripture, and they do show up in Isaiah and some other passages, and they do not look like these. They, they're, they're fiery serpents. Um, um, and if you want, I could, do a, I could do a study for you on seraphim. Um, a really good book would be Angels by Dr. Uh, Michael Heiser. Um, that would just really break down all the angel language used in Scripture and what's meant. And it's a technical book, moderately technical. But yeah, Angels by Michael Heiser. It'll go all, all the language stuff. But I don't think, I think seraphim are different. Now, there is an argument that they are the same because seraphim is a form of Egyptian throne guardian. And that's what throne guardian, like God, like like the cherubim guard the the path to the tree of life, to the throne of God. So seraphim in Egyptian uh, mythology or Egyptian uh, understanding, they the seraphim are the ones that guard the Egyptian throne, like Pharaoh's throne, yeah, or or the Egyptian god's throne. Um, then they would even try to maybe draw some parallels between the Sphinx, which would be like that big, okay? Uh, some of this art is blending in. Does that make sense? Because they're borrowing from each other. Did that help? Did that clarify that? Okay. Hmm?
<laughs> well, uh, is there, there was a torch right in the middle. It just kind of broke up because uh, John is standing in front of it. So you got flame coming out of John's head. So right here, see the flame? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not, I mean, when you post glass, three torches, or six torches are very prominent. Yeah. Now, what, it's set six torches, but it could also be, I mean, seven torches, but it could also be seven lamps, right? And then what are the seven lamps? We're going to do a little review here real quick since you brought that up. What are seven lamps? Remember, we did study on that. You guys were all here. Uh, the lamp stands are the angels of the churches, but the lamp on top of it is who? Well, that was an option. That wasn't the one I preferred, but... <laughs> It was the, the spirit, Holy Spirit. It's the sevenfold aspect of the Holy Spirit. So, what's that? Is that what she said? Good job, Genesis. Okay. <laughs> you put one thing in and pull up the other side. <laughs> <laughs> in and out. That's funny. <laughs> All right. Any other questions? There's not 24 thrones around there. What are you going to do about that? <laughs> no, there. <laughs> so their, their main job is for reflecting God's glory. So in light of this, we should remember how great Yahweh is. Ruling the universe, even ruling our lives. Right? So hopefully in some ways that can relieve anxiety, right? Give some freedom to let go. How often do we feel like we're just grasping and clawing to try to Instead of grasping and clawing for control, may we live in wonder and awe of Yahweh. And being okay with a little confusion. Because he's God, right? As soon as we can fully understand God, we got issues. He has ceased to become God. What do you want to take away? That's what I'm taking away, and that's what I'm telling you to take away. But what are you taking away? Unfathomable for sure. Anything else? Anybody else want to say something? Share something? Ask something? Yeah. I find it a good stress release. 